Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I am joined by Merton Sievers. He is the Value Chain Development and Enterprise Coordinator at the International Labour Organization, also known as the ILA. His focus is small and medium-sized enterprises. Merton has been working on enterprise development, market systems and job creation for more than 20 years. He and his team are global experts in value chains, entrepreneurship, startup business management, inclusive marketplace, amongst other things, all affecting SMEs. Combined, his team is backstopped more than 70% of the ILO's technical cooperation activities in the area of enterprise development with activities in more than 70 countries. During our conversation today, Merton provides deep insight into the effects of COVID on SMEs, why quality jobs are vital, and perhaps most importantly, what actions can be taken to improve jobs across the system. Merton, welcome. Hello, Katie. Great to have you, sir. Merton, you have been an instrumental part of the lab with the ILO. Can you share a little more about the evolution of the lab and and why it's so important? Yeah, thanks, Katie. I work in the ILO in the enterprises department. So we look mainly at uh, job creation and uh, job quality in enterprises and how the ILO can support the creation of more and better jobs. And so when I joined the ILO in 2010, the headquarters, I've, I've been a bit longer with the organization. We did an analysis together with two consultants that looked at what different UN agencies were doing in value chain development in support to businesses in those value chains. And basically, the result was that the consultant said, all of these different UN agencies working on this claim to be good at everything in value chain development. So what we're not seeing is very distinguishable competencies in value chain development, in market systems development in addressing businesses where we can say, this is specifically why this UN organization or why this international labor organization is working in value chain development, is working in business support. And based on that, we developed basically a project, a program, which is the lab that would enhance our competency and our profile in addressing decent work in value chains, decent work in market systems, decent work with businesses. So the outcome of that project was then taking a specific systemic approach to looking at value chains and trying to figure out how can we increase the number of jobs, but also importantly, the non-income related job quality aspects in value chains. So think about occupational safety and health, think about uh, the reduction of child labor, think about the, or the elimination of child labor, Think about um, better inclusion of vulnerable groups or of micro and small enterprises into global supply chains. Your role as global coordinator of value chain development and entrepreneurship, you look at not only value chains, but also MSMEs, women entrepreneurs, inclusive market systems, refugees and their host countries. From this vantage point, Merton, what are you seeing in terms of quality jobs and 2020? 
Yeah, 2020 has been a particular year for, I think, um, almost everybody around the globe. And one of the key factors in 2020, obviously, is um, the COVID crisis and linked to that, the lockdowns that many countries have basically put down for, for stopping infections. And we've looked at that and obviously... The most severe effect of these lockdowns is basically that the poorest and specific subsectors like tourism really are seeing a total drop in demand and uh, or the inability, say, in emerging economies of businesses to to take forward their day-to-day businesses because basically they can't operate uh, if they don't have social contacts. I think in terms of the job quality, Losing your job and not having an income, obviously, is um, kind of a key ingredient of job quality as well. So kind of having a job in the first place is one of the key things that is that is decreasing and that in turn is obviously, yeah, infringing on job quality of, of many people, especially in the smaller players. And this includes many smaller players in supply chains that supply to bigger businesses who are also might see, not in all sectors, so if you look at um, retail, for example, or, or supermarkets, you, you don't necessarily have a strong decrease in, in demand, but in other sectors that, that often are based on global supply chains, you see really a decrease in demand, and that in turn kind of leads to, leads to layoff. And so, yeah, so I think what that, that means for the future is that we, we have a loss of jobs, and in some cases, because basically you, you have smaller turnover, you might also see that, that companies start investing less into personnel, less into staff, uh, less into building competencies, less in, in working condition improvement that they might have done before, simply because money is, is uh, scarcer. Merton, sticking with the focus on quality jobs, one of the things you have been supporting is an action toolkit with us at Business Fights Poverty. The toolkit is entitled Building Back with Better Jobs. If you haven't read it, it, to those listening, do go and have a look. I'll put the links into the words that sit alongside this podcast. Merton, what's motivated your involvement with this and why an action toolkit? We really wanted to get that message across that you can do something. So Business uh, Fights Poverty has a clear message in terms of saying, Businesses have a role um, in fighting poverty that can contribute to reduce poverty. And poverty very often is associated to income levels. What we thought was, was possible also and, and wanted to get across as a message is that there are other conditions of work that might be not income related, not related to what necessarily first we think of as if we think poverty, but, but that might have a substantive impact on working lives of people. So think about agricultural value chain, for example, in an emerging economy, think about coffee and uh, the spraying that people do in terms of use of pesticides, etc., that might have a long-term impact on their health. And because nobody's looking at it, then they might have a reasonable income, but their health might be endangered. So there's clearly a problem of occupation safety and health that will in the long term also have an impact on poverty, by the way. So we wanted to increase kind of the visibility of the other factors of these that are part of decent work that basically 
are not always contemplated. Yeah, and these factors are quite wide ranging from avoiding human rights abuses like um, slave labor or, or child labor up to things that might be less or perceived as being less urgent, like working overtime or being exposed, for example, in these agricultural value chains to certain pesticides. So the question was, can we engage with this network of business fights poverty? And can we get that message out there that both the private sector as well as governments can be more strategic about addressing these issues? Merton, without giving too much away, what should people expect from the toolkit? I mean, why should they read it? What's it going to help them do? Yeah, so so the toolkit looks a little bit at what companies are doing in terms of improving job security, both uh, within the company, but also within their supply chains. So one is one area is job security. Another area is what have they done to increase equality. That means access to similar conditions of works, for example, for men and women, but also looking at uh, inclusion of the poor in supply chains, for example. And finally, and this speaks a little bit to what I was speaking before, health and well-being. So what have larger companies done in order to increase health and well-being of staff in their companies? And what have they done in their supply chains, so to basically trickle down into their suppliers some of these improvements. I think what we see and what what becomes clearer, I think, over time is that ideally businesses would invest into improving working conditions in their suppliers or, or in their own company as a core function of their business, Yeah, so that it's not an add-on CSR type of activity that in some cases you, you invest into job quality of your suppliers, but that basically this becomes a function of your, your buying in your supply chain. Now, let me, let me give you an example um, of this. So basically, we were working with uh, suppliers to IKEA in Vietnam, and this is a few years back. IKEA was buying rattan chairs. Rattan is a forestry product that is where basically you have woven chairs that are then exported um, through a group of exporters in Vietnam. And IKEA had buyers in Vietnam itself and was looking at uh, how basically the chairs were produced and you had the exporters, the, the factories producing the chairs, and then the factories were subcontracting largely to a large number of, of village-level craft shops where you had a lot of issues around working conditions. And the issues around working conditions, so people were sitting on the floor or were having, uh, basically were working without protective equipment and had injuries that got infected or had back problems because of working on the floor. And very often that led into disruptions in the, in the supply chain. Yeah? So further down the supply chain, not in the direct suppliers to the big businesses, there were serious issues of working conditions that weren't being addressed and that were also leading to an issue in terms of the business model and in terms of disruptions in that supply chain. So what we decided to do together with a large company and the, the factories is extend a training program to these suppliers with uh, basically tips and tricks on how to improve some of the working conditions at a relatively low cost. Yeah. So for example, you would get a small plastic stool where people could sit on and already that would decrease sort of the, the amount of back problems you, you would have. You would buy some quite simple and cheap protective equipment and 
All of these things taken together basically would then ensure also that the supply chain would work better. Yeah. And so that's an example of where you get, yeah, you have a business case for improving these working conditions. No, it might require, and in many cases, it does require initial investment. And you can think of it as paying off immediately, but you can think of it as paying off in the medium term, because in the longer term, basically, you're, you're making your supply of things to the larger business more secure. And, and so the guide basically looks at a range of examples of companies, Tony Chocolongli, Pan Ost, um, Unilever, Hermes, um, Sodexo, uh, Johnson & Johnson, and how these companies have tried to do something within their supply chain or within the core companies themselves to actually improve some of these working conditions. Now, I'm boringly practical and always keen to find expert advice from the research that you've been doing and, and your wider work. What would you recommend to businesses trying to take action to create or pivot existing jobs to increase their quality? There's a lot of discussion around um, compliance with um, legally required norms within supply chains. And I think that's, that's good. And, and you have all these audit functions in the supply chains that, that are trying to basically check and control whether suppliers, uh, first tire suppliers, or second supplier, tire suppliers are, are complying with, uh, for example, requirements of labor law or, or other legal requirements in, in the country where you're buying. So what, what I would like to see is maybe a little bit more thinking about for companies. So there's a legal liability obviously, often associated to that. And the, the tricky thing for me, if, if you're thinking about addressing poverty or working conditions, then in the lower tires of these supply chains and the lower tires of where these businesses are buying from, that's where from a perspective of the International Labour Organization, most of these really difficult decent work deficits lie. So what I would hope for is that some, that some of these larger buyers, some of these global businesses that, are, that have kind of a large number of suppliers invest more effectively into improving some of these working conditions, into trying to figure out how people can work in a better way. And I think that's what is needed for that is an investment. Yeah. So they, we shouldn't be naive in thinking there will be an immediate payoff. Yeah. There will be an immediate win-win and everybody will make more money and everybody will be better off. It needs an initial investment, both in terms of the staff working in the supply chain from the kind of large businesses that might be buying in that supply chain. So people sitting in the countries that make the, the buying decisions, it cannot be an add-on function, but it really needs to be a core business to look at what sort of business, businesses are in my supply chain, what is happening in those, and then not having an, yeah, just an audit kind of view on this, but really trying to figure out in the medium term, how can I set these businesses on a pathway to decent work? Yeah, so don't shy away from businesses that might not be complying with everything but that are willing to improve. And instead of maybe controlling and auditing, try to set up um, support services or things like, like in the example that I was just talking about, where larger companies can actually create or help create an environment in which local businesses can actually upgrade to a level where they can better comply 
they can improve working conditions of, of their workers. So don't shy away from those difficult situations. Obviously, if you're buying, for example, in agricultural value chains, you, you'll often have a large group of, of producers that in one way or another yeah, might not be at the level where you would want to see them in working conditions. So pick a few of those issues. Don't try to solve everything at the same time, but pick the strategic ones Specifically now, when the economies are, are becoming smaller, become more strategic in terms of what you want to address, but really try to address the core issues that, that you find in your value chain to basically bring people up and improve their working conditions. And to anyone listening to this, I will, as I mentioned earlier, put the link to this toolkit into the words that sit alongside this podcast. And as I, hopefully Merton's explained, it's, it's a really practical document. So do go and have a look at that toolkit. Merton, just thinking forward a little bit, what can we expect next from the lab and the ILO in the mission to encourage decent work for all? Yeah, what what we'll be doing, I think, more is uh, we're trying to look more. So our research so far has been looking largely at what are the incentives and capabilities in value chains, in supply chains to improve working conditions. So really trying to figure out not only whether the capabilities are there in the, in the smaller businesses in the supply chain, but also who in the market system, and that could include kind of the core value chain, the businesses in the core value chain, but it could include also the service provision structure, so business services, financial services, and the business environment, so the government services around it. Which one of those factors actually plays a key role enabling that value chain, that production system to improve working conditions? And I think what we will be seeing more in the future is one, a stronger emphasis on our side on environment because, uh, yeah, climate crisis is there. We need to think through how we address that climate crisis with, at the same time, thinking about social conditions. It basically goes further into that triple bottom line. If you want, you you need to understand what economic conditions are, what social conditions are, but more and more, we need to interlink those with with the effects on the environment. Um, And we need to get better, I think, from coming up, from looking at that micro level of business relationships and of service providers to these businesses who then also have an influence in terms of the regulatory environment in which businesses operate. And then obviously that plays a core role also of how businesses can help other businesses in that environment. So the government will play a key role and we need to extend that research from trying to understand incentives and and capabilities in the private sector up to what government actors, what business associations, even in some cases, what worker unions can do to improve working conditions. And Merton, we're obviously still in the throes of COVID-19, which is affecting everyone's mission for decent work. I'd like to end this podcast, hopefully, on something a little more positive. Are there rays of light? If so, where are they? And and how can businesses really kind of take action and and perhaps grasp the opportunities? (laughs) Yeah, I think... uh... Obviously, as you say, there is uh, the the hard truth is that especially small businesses um, in supply chain, but also small businesses that operate directly with clients on a day-to-day basis are probably some of the hardest hit 
in this crisis because they don't have the financial reserves to survive longer term without clients. No, think about small shops like hairdressers, et cetera, that might have to close down. And basically, you're seeing it even in the local economies in Europe, that basically some of these small shops are, are basically just closing down. And that for, I think, the, the light at the end of the tunnel might be in, in the fact that the fundamental structures of supply chains, of how business function, are not, we're not going through a crisis that has destroyed these structures or that has destroying necessarily the relationships of businesses. So what I would hope that especially the larger businesses that can afford maybe also looking at what is happening in their supply base, they maybe possibly need to push the pause button in, in many of the things they're doing and they're buying because their own demand is decreasing. But hopefully that pause button can also be pressed again after this crisis to help rebuilding those networks. And maybe this crisis is a chance to then also rethink in the longer term, how can we make these business relationships more meaningful, more purpose-driven in a sense that obviously they need to make business sense, but that they can also contribute to help other businesses come up, improve working conditions of the people working there. And eventually, obviously, we also need to all think about how that has an effect or not on, on the environment. So then the question is, is this a time of, of being able to, to rebuild and, and be more strategic in the future of how do you buy and how do you build long-term relationship with your suppliers? Or will the crisis have the contrary effect to actually let everything that is more difficult go and really concentrate only on the areas where, where you already have a very easy and functioning supply chains, but that might not have the effect that, for example, I would wish for in terms of improving work conditions, reaching out to, to smaller enterprises and, and trying to engage those in, in supply chains that might help these smaller entrepreneurs evolve. So I think it would be great if we could get there. For me, the big question is, what are the incentives for, for businesses to actually enable also transition on their side to, to something that is yeah, more resilient for, for, for coming crises, for example? And also, there's some adaptation mechanisms there that might be interesting or, or some new business model that are more based maybe on, on online models. But there's many things that run the risk of just being interrupted. And, and, and how to restart those things is, is actually a, a big question. Well, Merton, that brings us to the end of this conversation. And thank you so much for your time and your insight and your wisdom and, and for sharing them so generously with us today. It's been a total pleasure and um, hopefully we can catch up again soon. Merton, thank you. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.